Are you sheltering in place, isolated, feeling alone? <coughs> well, then you're just like us. Hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the quarantined hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Shut-In, the Soundcast stimulus package featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And now, here's your host for this episode, Mark Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. Thank you, Bill Haywatt. I am Mark Hershaw. And welcome to a very auspicious episode 247 of Succotash Shut-In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package. Because not only does this installment feature my interview with a fixture in the San Francisco comedy scene back in the 1980s, 90s, and into the early aughts, John Means, a.k.a. Dr. Gonzo. But this is also the very last episode of Succotash Shut-In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package. Now, 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 to be clear, we're not going away, no. My alternating host, Tyson Saner, and I are staying right here in this very feed. But this show marks the end of season four of Suckatash. It's also the last show of our first 10 years in soundcasting. And although the COVID crisis, the pandemic, or whatever you want to call this crazy last year that most of us have managed to muddle through is not quite over, things are looking brighter and definitely on the upswing. Millions of Americans have had at least one, if not two, of their COVID vaccine shots. I'm in line next Tuesday to get my second Pfizer jab. And some people have gotten the one-shot wonder from J&J. Places are opening up, some a little bit wider and more enthusiastically than called for, perhaps. And there is a feeling of, dare I say, normalcy returning to the world. With that growing momentum and evidence, we have decided to level set this show and return it to its original title starting next week. With our special 10th anniversary show dropping next Tuesday, it will be the first show of Season 5 of Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. You shouldn't have to do anything if you're a subscriber. You'll see the title shift. You might see a slightly revamped show graphic, but everything should keep coming to your device just as it is today. Speaking of Tyson Saner, if you missed his latest drop, Epi 246, he featured clips from the Brendan Fraser podcast, Fascination Street, and the Bill Burt podcast. It's not too late to catch it up at Apple or Google Podcasts, the Laughable app, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and of course, our very own home site, SuckatashShow.com. For this show, as I mentioned, Dr. Gonzo, i.e. John Means, is my guest. He created a unique combination of stand-up and song parodies when he was kicking it back then, and his style of comedy and music made him perfect as an opener for bands, big bands. He toured extensively with Huey Lewis in the News, for instance. We get into all that, and as you'll hear me fumble around, even after all these years of knowing him, I'm still not quite sure what to call him. I think I settled on Gons, finally, which is and was the most typical thing folks in San Francisco used to refer to him by. But he moved back to his original hometown, Mason City, and that's where I recently caught up to him on Zoom. We'll dive into the conversation pit with Gons right after this message from our longtime sponsor, Henderson's Pants, with a special reprise offer for their back-to-school pants now that a number of educational institutions are reopening for on-campus classes. 
Hello, friends. Bill Haywatt here. You know, with the summer winding down and the days getting shorter, it's a sure sign that it's back to school time. While kids might be grumbling that their fun is about to end, they can still be having a great time when they hit those hallowed halls in their new Hendersons back to school pants. Far from being too cool for school, Hendersons back to school pants are just right regardless of of whether your offspring is star of the football team or a wimpy loser who gets beaten up by the bike racks every day after class. <laughs> On the advice of counsel, Henderson's Pants wants to assure listeners of this program that we do not tolerate nor support bullying in our nation's schools or playgrounds. The childhood spectrum illustrated in this commercial message is not intended to denigrate or mock those children who might be seen as being of lesser ability or popularity than other more desirable young people. We invite opposing views to contact Contact the management of Henderson's Pants via this program. We now return to the commercial, already in progress. Bill? Thank you, Joe. Originally designed for private school, public school, and that school of hard knocks, Henderson's Back to School Pants can be found in the aisles next to peachy folders, pencil boxes, and small caliber firearms, wherever back to school supplies are sold. That's Henderson's, makers of knickers and knee pants since 1917. And now back to... Succotash. All right. How are you, man? I'm fine, Mark. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I'm just trying to think if we need to say anything in preparation for what we're about to do, but I don't think so. It's just a conversation. Just a lot of lot of forehead. Just two old friends chatting. Chatting. I like that. Chatting. Um, I was thinking about uh, how I introduced you because it seems like you go by John Means now. Mostly, but you're still mostly. Mostly, right? But you're still doc. I can say with us on Succotash, shut in right now is Doctor Gonzo, or I can yeah. say John Means, aka Doctor Gonzo. That sounds fine. Or I can say just call him Gons, <laughs> as his friends do. Or you could just call me Johnzo. Johnzo. <laughs> well, it reminded me, I don't know if you remember when I was up in the comedy underground in Seattle, there's fingers in the way. What's that? My, my wife's turning up the volume for me because I'm an idiot. Interesting. There. Oh, now it's How, much better. How's that? Can you hear better? Oh, yeah. Can you hear I me can, now? I can. <laughs> yes, I can. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy that was a, a local Seattle comic who also worked as the doorman at the uh, underground when I was there, a guy named uh, Jay Cullum. Okay. And uh, so I always knew him as Jay Cullum. And then years later, uh, I kind of ran into him on social media and he was John Cullum, which is his actual name. But I couldn't break myself of the habit of <laughs> calling him Jay. And I would write him emails and stuff. And I just finally got myself to at least just use the letter J. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I couldn't figure out what else to do. My dentist calls me Jay all the time instead of John. I don't know what that's all about, but I I don't care. <laughs> Just don't call you late for dinner. That's right. Uh, so uh, for the, the sake of the, the listener of this show, um, uh, the... Uh, the former doctor, well, the still doctor, oh, see, I'm still caught in this thing, Johnzo, <laughs> and I go way, way back. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Way back. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting flashbacks thinking about it. Yeah. Hill Valley, you know. Yes. 
you've 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 actually been in my life in weird little seminal moments. Uh, and I've always delighted in telling the story of, well, first of all, let me set the stage of who you are before we get into a conversation. So, so John Zoe, uh, I first met him in San Francisco. Uh, he'd, uh, he'd moved from where he is now, which is somewhere in the middle of the United States. Yes. Flyover fly, state. Flyover state. Um, and where are you at? You're Mason City. Illinois. I, Illinois. I knew it was an I word. Well, we have a comedy club next door and one of the comics just punched in Mason city to come here and ended up in Mason city, Iowa. So while he was there, he took pictures of buddy Holly's crash site. Nice. Of course. But, nice. But yeah, anyways, I'm, I'm by Springfield, Illinois, Peoria, Illinois, real close okay. to where Austin and the prior right. came from. Okay. Uh, but when we first met, you, you'd made the move to San Francisco and, uh, had uh, uh, were performing. You did a, a stand-up act that included music and guitar, and not not just included it. It wasn't like this add-on. It was sort of part and parcel of the whole package, right? I mean, you had uh, musical parody, you had some original stuff, and then you had just straight stand-up too. Yeah, it became uh, it sort of morphed um, when I first started doing stand-up. Um, it was mostly a lot of little guitar parody things, um, making fun of Oakland and Marin County and and uh, Bob Seger and ZZ Top and things like that. And when I quit my day job, I, I mean, we had we could get on stage open mic night like every night of the week because there was the other cafe and the Holy City Zoo and the boarding house. And uh, there were just many places to get stage time. And uh, Suddenly, some people were getting money and getting paid, and I got asked to do a private party, and they paid me, and I, was, I just couldn't believe we were getting paid for it. I mean, we, <laughs> we were just doing it because it was fun, you know? And, um, and then I started going to the music venues saying, hey, I'll open the show and save you some money instead of having another band. So I got in at the Stone and the Old Waldorf and the Kabuki and all these other places um, because, one, I was cost-effective, two... Uh, they could take a break after me and sell more drinks. You know, Bill Graham, I, I stopped him at the Kabuki one time after I opened the sold out show. I go, I sell drinks for you, don't I? And he goes, you finally figured it out. You finally figured it out. And, you know, I get paid a couple hundred bucks. And you probably make three grand in drinks and merchandise and everything else. So, so yeah, I was I was a good person to add on to shows. And you were, you were somewhat unique. I mean, there was a niche, there was sort of a niche or niche, as some people say, of sort of the the comics that did music and had that facility, which made you uh, extremely versatile to use as an opening act, because it was very entertaining. It was like it was like getting a band. It was like a one man band, almost right. And there was you. There was oh. Billy. J, there was Billy J. There was Mark McCollum. Mark McCollum. Ray, Ray. Anna. Um. Jazz Caner. Jazz Caner. Uh, I guess for Rick and Ruby, but they weren't really, st- eh, they were, they were the, they were one of the, you know, before I started doing comedy, I saw them open for commander Cody out of golden gate park. Okay. And that, that was quite an influence on me. Uh, Brian mm-hmm. and, uh, and Monica and uh, righteous Raul baby. Yeah. I've done many things with him over the years, you know, especially at comedy day, we always have fun, but um yeah, it opened. When I do open for a band, I'm I'm more more much more music heavy. 
in the in the nightclubs, I'm much more stand up heavy. Um, had a guy that booked me in Columbia, Missouri, one time. He wanted to keep the show tight. He goes, "Just do 39 minutes, sprinkle the guitar." <laughs> and like, cool. And by doing that, you keep keep people interested. It's that shiny object thing. And um, I kind of developed an act by by 1990. I had an act that I could kind of take anywhere that just plugged in. I just saw a video the other day from like 96 in, in Louisville. And, and, and then everybody gave me crap about how I pronounced it during the show. Of course, <laughs> a little show on a Saturday, we were doing three shows and the show was just had all the nuances. It was bam, 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 bam. It's the show I'd worked over and over and over again. And it was kind of fun to watch it in, in its whole because it worked and yeah. that's what people thought. Uh, but I got real stale by doing that. You know oh. what I'm as creative stale. Yeah. And, uh, once you have something that works, you just beat it to death. And then, you know, then I kind of got bored. And that's when I went into teaching for a little while. So, oh, yeah. Well, we've, I mean, we've, you know, we both know guys that have just sort of like gone on autopilot for years. Uh, uh, right. Not so. <laughs> that's, that's who I didn't want to mention, but absolutely so. But, but he was funny every time I saw him. Every know? time, every time. And I was just, I just got done watching a special on Netflix before I jumped on the line with you. And <laughs> it, the, uh, it, it's uh, Brian Regan's new special on the rocks on Netflix. And it, what it reminded me of is, I mean, you guys, your acts are nothing alike, but you just like, I cannot not watch Brian Regan. He makes me laugh every time I see him. Yep. Dana Carvey makes me laugh every time I see him. And you made me laugh every time I saw you there's there because you always had this devilish twinkle in your eye when you were on stage and you you it was kind of like you weren't a comic on autopilot you were a comic that knew what was going on in the room Mm -hmm. and you could react to it and it was something about having that facility i mean this is the way i'm seeing it this might not be right but you had that facility to suddenly jump into a song because something happened or you saw something and it wasn't like you had this set riveted down that you had to stick to you were able to kind of pivot well, I, I was kind of more grateful deadish, you know, in the eighties, as far as, mm. you know, I didn't know which way I was going to go most of the time, but you know, we, we were really good about policing ourselves as far as watching other comics and making sure nobody was stealing material. But what we got from other comics was how they approached comedy. And Marsha Warfield was one of my big influences mm. with confidence. She could walk on stage and you knew immediately that this woman is in charge and we're just going to go along for the ride. And so I kind of wanted some of that without feeling like I had this big attitude when I walked on, but I wanted to walk on stage and let them know that I know what I'm doing. And uh, if you want to come along, jump, jump on, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So when you say about that twinkle in the eye, yeah, I kind of, but, and then I always grinned every time they said, and now Dr. Gonzo, <laughs> I still thought that was, that cracked me up. You know, when, when they would say that, because I thought, okay, here I go being this other thing for a little while. Even though it's me, I, I got to pretend. It's a character. Time. Yeah, it was playtime. And I really, I'm not, I'm not really a character. I'm just who I am, I think, when I'm, when I do my show. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, no, I don't think it's any stranger than anybody who, you know, Bobby Slayton is Bobby Slayton. But when they say, here's Bobby Slayton, he takes on the persona of Bobby Slayton, the comic you're going to watch for the next hour. Sure, sure, sure. And Bubs. Everybody. You know, I, I, 
I think you're right. When they, when, whenever you're introduced there, you kind of walk through there. There's a little porthole, I think that you go through and, and, uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> uh, it's still strange. I mean, I, every, every time I go on, it's, uh, it's, it's a new experience. And, and it's funny now because I'm really digging into the well, I, I got away from comedy for a while when I was teaching and we had a restaurant for a little bit. And, um, and then my buddy opened the comedy club next door. And the next thing, you know, those comics that a lot of comics I didn't get to see because I was headlining all the time. Oh. I got to meet a lot of guys that I'd seen their pictures on the wall in every club I'd work. And we, and we kind of knew each other from all the stories we'd heard about each other. And, uh, emo Phillips was one that really tried to ring me, but he goes, you're a natural, right? Why don't you do this more often? And uh, <laughs> he made me open one of his things one night. And uh, he goes, I go, okay. So I agreed to do it. And then he goes, okay, but don't do this and don't do that. And <laughs> now you're giving me rules. You yeah. know, it's one way to say, okay, I'll do it. Now you're telling me what I can't, can and cannot do. So, yeah. I, and I always, that, that always bothered me too. When I was on the road, somebody would always say, well, don't say the F word. Uh, and you go, well, why don't you just say, don't say the word the just before I walk on. I, it's not that I, <laughs> it's not, I use it like that, but why don't you say, use good judgment? <laughs> yeah. You know, don't some some comics you can trust and others you can't. That's why there's rules in comedy condos in a lot of places because somebody screws it up for everybody else. So it's it's like, especially when you run into the promoters that don't understand the species they're working with. Yes, that if you tell somebody don't do that, well, half of them are going to just die to do that. They can't wait. Try to tell Jeremy Kramer not to do something. I wouldn't dare tell him. <laughs> exactly, because all you're going to get is wall to wall. Whatever you don't want, that's what he's going to roll out for you. Sure, sure. But but he wasn't a real working comic on the road either. <laughs> Not very often because of that, you know. I, I was I, I was recently recounting on somebody had mentioned him on Facebook, and I was recounting there was a week when I was running the comedy underground up there, and he was opening for um, a Whitney Brown. Oh, <laughs> there's then, another. One. Imagine those two together. So they're having breakfast across the street from the comedy condo at that Larry Greenfront rest, Larry's Greenfront restaurant. And apparently there's a table of four cops sitting next to them. And Jeremy's like leaving the restaurant and he accidentally brushes up this against this big tray full of silverware that just come out of the dishwasher and it goes all over the floor right next to these guys and rather than just kind of apologize and stuff he gets in their face about it like it's somehow their fault well of and course i don't see any of this but what i do see because i'm still i'm still at the condo is whitney running in asking for a phone book like what do you need a phone we got to call a lawyer they just arrested jeremy we got to bail him out oh, oh. oh. <laughs> so we did yeah. get him out. we did get him out before showtime which was good <laughs> Kevin Meany was another one in public that you just go, oh my God, we're going to get in trouble. Uh, he he went into he went into the back room of a restaurant because we weren't getting waited on right away, and knocked knocked a bunch of stuff off the shelf and laid on the ground and claimed that the waiter hit him. <laughs> and the waiter's gone. He just walked in here and knocked everything on the floor and. and <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. So when you're hanging with a comic, you never know. And Whitney was definitely one of those that, oh, buddy. Yeah. And that's that's the thing you can't ever really kind of purely translate to civilians, what the business is like. It's the in-between time. 
it's the 23 hours when comics aren't working that sure. all the weird crazy bananas stuff happens and what uh who was the comic that used to sing working nine to nine thirty <laughs> john, john fox probably probably i don't know but <laughs> Yeah, we could say he did everything. <laughs> exactly. He's not around to, to even deflect it at this point. Sure. But um, I was while we're talking about Seattle, I still remember, and I've told this story to people <laughs> a bunch of times, when I picked you up at the airport, I was running the club. I picked you up at the airport. It had been raining and raining because it's Seattle. Oh, I, I remember this. I'm wearing this big overcoat. I got this beard that's about six months old on my face, and my hair is down to my shoulders. And we go back to the condo and you were, you just come in from another gig. So you say, I'm going to go upstairs, take a nap. So you go upstairs, take a nap. The sun comes out and it's Seattle. So hallelujah, the sun's come out. So I go down the street, I go to the barber shop. I haven't cut my hair, shaved my beard off. Um, when you come downstairs, I'm sitting on the couch in the living room. I'm wearing cutoffs and a t-shirt, <laughs> clean shaven, short hair. You go, what the fuck happened? <laughs> Yeah, you kind of blew my mind. You had to pick me up. What are you doing in my condo? <laughs> oh, man, that was hilarious. But, you know, um, I, Miles Kehoe, who used yeah. to be WCO, he, uh, he just moved to southwest Missouri. Oh, yeah. And I went, and we just, because uh, he can be close to his grandkids, and he worked the club, or he, he ran it for a while in Seattle and Reno and all these yeah. other places. Great stories. But uh, I went down to help him get all moved in, and, and we talked a lot about you and the place and, and just – Swanee, you know. The, oh man, Bill Everson. <laughs> so for those of those of you who don't know, uh, the Comedy Underground was downstairs underneath Swanee's, a sports bar in Seattle, run by this guy uh, Jim Swanson, who was like a minor league ball player for the in the Mariners system. Left-handed catcher left-handed catcher and so his name was on the thing but i don't think he had any of his own money in it he had like a backer and this guy bill evanson who'd been friends with him since college was like his partner and ran the bar and stuff and uh yeah these guys were total characters in between this i mean this could have been a its own sitcom right with the sports bar upstairs and the comedy club downstairs it was just nuts well, and you had you had all the celebrity athletes upstairs, you know, because the Kingdome was right there. Oh, I remember yeah. adding that. I thought he was the bartender. I grabbed him from behind. I came upstairs through that back step, you know. Yeah. And I Robert, this other guy. I grabbed him. I go, hey, get me a beer. And he turns around and goes, I'm Don Mattingly. I go, give me a beer, man. <laughs> but we buddies. He got on the injured, pulled a muscle or something. So he hung out all weekend. So you never knew what was going to happen. Um, it was It was definitely a lot of fun there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but back in, in the San Francisco scene, um, in fact, I just, when you mentioned Keo, I remember because I heard, for, I'm going to plug this other podcast because if, if people want to hear sort of more about your early years, because we only will have like a half hour or so for this chat, but I'm going to talk about the podcast I just reviewed last week, which, which was the first laugh podcast. Yes. And you spent two hours with these guys, which uh, God love you. <laughs> right. What's that? I mean, you have to take a pee break. Take a pee break. <laughs> but uh, they really got into kind of like how you got started and they're from there. So they really kind of had a lot of fun kind of getting it. And your dad like was, was like, was gave birth or, or, or his mom, he delivered the guy who was interviewing you. That, that blew, I didn't know that, but, uh, I, but my dad delivered thousands of babies. He, sure. 
he was docked from gun smoke here in, in the Mason city area and, uh, did surgeries and things like that. But he, yeah, he, and he touched a lot of people. He was the first person to touch a lot of people. <laughs> but uh, when you mentioned Keogh, because one of the things you mentioned in that interview was uh, towards the end, you were talking about the three still standing documentary. Oh, yes. Uh, which, I, which I'm in. Uh, well, of course you. They, they interviewed me a bit. And I drove Dana Carvey and Bubbles up to this gig up in Oregon. And we had GoPro cameras rigged up in the car, which we used in the, the dock. And Keogh shows up for the show. Uh, it was what? <laughs> well, the show is in. Um, uh, I want to say Eugene, but it wasn't Eugene. It was just uh, of um, Ashland, whatever the town is. But yeah, where they have the Shakespeare Festival. Yeah, yeah. So, so Keo shows up, and I mean, he is a, still a walking encyclopedia of the early days of comedy. And one of the things you'd mentioned to these guys with the, the idea of policing acts, and Keo was the cop number one. Oh, yeah. I mean, he would step on anyone who dared to do someone else's line. Yep. If yep. he knew about it, you could not get away with it. And I remember when he, he took over, when he started the Seattle club, because I took over after him, there was a comic up there who I won't mention, but he, he was a big sensation in Seattle. It turns out he'd gone to Los Angeles and come <laughs> back with a pocket full of bits. Sure. And people are going, oh, he's great. He's so funny. And I'm watching him going, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, he's not actually allowed to go on stage uh, during a regular show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Doug, well, Doug grew up with policemen and, and firemen out in the sunset district. So uh, he knew all about policing. Yes. I, I took him home many a nights. Yeah. <laughs> he's been so quite a while. He's doing great. I'm so happy for him. We're, we're all into grandkids now, which is great. You know, I never thought we'd be at this stage, but that's, seems to be the most important thing that we all have in common these days is, is putting stuff in those little kids heads you know yes exactly a lot of fun exactly so let me ask you this so you come to you come to san francisco it's like 79 78 79 somewhere around there and you know a lot of a lot of uh comics were drawn by the gravitational pull of san francisco i mean there's a lot of native san franciscan comics bob sarlat uh, Robin Williams, uh, not native really, but I mean certainly his formative years in the Bay Area. Um, but you're you're an outsider from the middle of the country coming to like you know the uh, hippie town USA. What yeah. is what is that sensibility like when you sort of enter this very rarefied atmosphere of what was happening in early San Francisco comedy? Well, I it wasn't comedy that drew me out there. I uh, I. I moved from Mason city, which is about 2000 people to Lincoln, Illinois, where I went to junior college, which is about 10,000. Then I went to Des Moines, Iowa, which was about a hundred thousand to Drake university. Mm. But that time I was doing theater and uh, had a band. So I was, I was getting to be a big fish in, in, in little ponds, you know, as I was going. And I grew up on the Jefferson airplane, grateful dead, you know, um, Quicksilver messenger service, you know, I mean, I knew about the music scene here. So when I came out, I came out to produce a play that a friend of mine had written, hoping to get involved more in the music scene too. And then the boarding house was just two blocks away from me on Bush street, mm -hmm. old boarding house, uh, uh Allen's alley, uh, Dave, Al uh, not what's, what was his name? Um, anyway, 
I I started playing silly songs and stuff like that to open for open mic nights because it was right there and gave me something to do. And I was working at Uncle Vito's Pizza on (laughs) Bushpow. And uh, so I got moved to days so I could go out at night. And uh, and then the next thing you know, the comedy scene just kind of, it was just Jane Dornocker was hanging out there, Pritchard, uh, Slayton, uh, Steve Pearl. Steve and I got good buddies. We were living like Jack Marion. Oh, Jack around then. Uh, oh God, there was there, Gigi and her womb broom. I mean, there were some <laughs> Len Pardo. I mean, I can, uh, uh, there were a lot of different people, but, uh, but Bobby's the one that said, if you want to do another open mic is the Holy city zoo. And I thought he meant a music open mic. Hmm. So it's sort of a fluke that I went to the Holy city zoo signed up on a Tuesday and I signed up as Dr. Gonzo because my band was Dr. Gonzo's Bonzo band back in Des Moines. So I put Dr. Gonzo down, went across the street, started drinking, came back across the street. And the person who was on the list ahead of me was doing stand-up. And I'm like, what's going on? Well, it's a comedy club. <laughs> I was buzzed and uh, it took me forever to get my guitar out of the case after Tony DePaul. My first introduction was, he's wow. not fun, but he's got cancer. Let's hear it for him. <laughs> and... Uh, and I got some laughs and they invited me back. And then I sucked the next time, big time. So it was one of those, I don't know what happened, but once you got that first laugh, I thought, hey, this is different. So, well, you know, that happens so often because you don't know what to expect. And a lot of comics experience that because, you know, having run the comedy club and booked those comedy clubs in the Bay Area, I've seen it so many times where, especially during like the auditions for the comedy competition, people come in, they've never really done it before. They get those first few laughs and they go, hey, this is really this is really working. And then I always say it takes three years before they figured out what they did that first night. Oh yeah. It takes a long time. Uh, I just went home and started writing. And uh, because I, I just grew up playing the guitar since I was eight, you know, and I was with Pearl the night that, well, I ran into Pearl the night that John Lennon died. I was at the country, mm. country store and Sunnyvale, which became Rooster Tea Feathers. Yeah. Uh, Modica's club that his mom pretty much ran. <laughs> the dragon uh, lady. But it was on a Monday night and we were just watching the Monday night football and John Lennon was killed, you know, and then they go, all right, now it's nine o'clock time for comedy. Oh man. Well, it was a horrible evening, oh. but per- like the first one to say, you know, if it had been Ringo, we'd be in bed now. <laughs> it, very, uh, it, I don't know. There's this. <laughs> and then Colonel Sanders died shortly after that. And Pearl and I called the media and had them all come down to the Kentucky fried chicken on Lombard. And we're out there singing, all oh, we are cooking. Here we go. Everybody talking about white meat, dark meat, lion wings and thighs. And, you know, and people were just were walking away from us. <laughs> <laughs> On our shoulders. I mean, we, Pearl was the most fun guy to hang out with, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, fast, fastest mind uh, and unrecognized <laughs> publicly as, as that. I mean, offstage. He was just so, and he still is. Oh yeah, just oh, yeah. incredibly quick. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he was—he was one of the guys that could keep up with Robin as far as Bing, 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 Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Him and Warren Thomas, and I miss talking and Overton, about a and Overton, Overton, and Rick Overton. Yeah, and I, I miss seeing Rick too. I miss—I missed Comedy Day this year. You know, the 40th year. This was going to be a big one. I know, and none of us. There was no Comedy Day, and this is where—that's where I get to hang out with all my buddies in one place. So. It's sad. Yeah. We'll get it back together. We will get it back together again. So you so you get into this comedy stew that is San Francisco. 
you're opening for bands, you're playing clubs. Um, and what happens to sort of look like your true north at that point? What is it that you're aiming to do as you kind of find yourself in a world you didn't really expect? Uh, I didn't. I met Cosby like in 81 when we did the you know Showtime Big Laugh Off in 81. Caesars bought that show and it was me and John Fox and Bob Duback and Barry Sobel and the guy with the puppet. And Ron, um, Ron Lucas. Ron Lucas, yeah. And so Cosby showed up at the show. And, uh, you know, I went on first and then John Fox going, Cosby's out there. So I went back and I, I talked to him, you know, and I said, what's, I went up to him and went, Sugar Ray. And he's like, Sugar Ray. And so he <laughs> down and invited us all over to see his show the next night because he had an early show, comped us in, but we got to go backstage. We Everybody went over except we didn't tell the guy with the puppet. Because <laughs> we're still bitter that the puppet beat us. Yeah, the puppet won. Ron Lucas won. But he critiqued us and he said, be true to comedy. If you're going to be a comic, be a comic first. And if other things happen, that's fine. But don't use it as a springboard because that's, I mean, you remember Star Search years ago? Absolutely. Ed McMahon. All these actor guys, you know, could do like two minutes, you know, and they, just to get exposure. And uh, then when they started putting the comics on, then, okay, see, now, now there's funny. Yeah. So. So I stayed true to comedy. I never really springboarded. I, I was never big on wanting to get in the movies or anything. I got into some videos with Huey just because I was touring with Huey Lewis at the time. Uh, but that was never my intention. My intention was to play live, and I love playing live. And then you're playing to 10,000 people. Yeah. You know, the, again, Grace Slick called me the cartoon before the movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what I became, and I loved it. And I've opened for, I, I just looked through my list the other day because I keep remembering acts that I forgot. I'm up to like 70 bands that I opened for that are name acts yeah. that I got to, I got the milk off their crowd. You know? <laughs> you know, they were the big people and I got to go out there and, and entertain them. So it was a lot of, it's been a lot of fun. That's great, man. That's great. I, uh, that, that hit you get off an audience that even though they're there for someone else is, um, is amazing. I remember I went, I was working on some project with Carvey uh and uh, he was he goes hey i gotta go to play the um uh what was it, it as a room in, Ve in vegas it was the um, room at the pig pig motel that was it no it was uh uh the mirage at the mirage hotel oh, so it's a big showroom it's like uh um wayne newton's showroom i guess except on you know he would take a vacation and so they'd book it out with comics so he goes, yeah, let's let's just go. I'll get you a suite at the Mirage. We can still keep working on this project. Go, okay, so I go with him. He goes, uh, hey, I got to go down and talk to the showroom manager. Let's go just walk with me. Okay, so we walk down. And he says, who's my opening act? And the manager goes, your, your agent said you're bringing an opening act. <laughs> he just looks at me. He goes, oh, Mark can do it. He goes, Mark can do it. Now, I've never, I have done no stand-up. I've done all, just improv, right? just improv. But at that point, I've been doing improv for literally 25 years. So I go, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So for three nights, I'm Dana Car Carvey's opening act at the fucking Mirage Hotel in front of 2,800 people. It's awesome, isn't it? And he and I just kind of write this just BS, like seven minutes. Just like, you know, seven minutes. Stuff out of the news and bullshitting That's about awesome. And it's such a rush. You walk out there on stage and it's what I've always told start, you know, beginning comics when they go, I'm just so nervous. I go, you don't, you have no reason to be nervous. The audience doesn't know that you don't know what you're doing. And as long as you take that stage with confidence and you never 
let them know that you don't own that stage, you'll do just fine. Yeah. Because believe it or not, they want you to succeed. They've paid big money to have a great time. Yeah. And they start to feel nervous for you. That's when you end up in the, in the drink, you know? Well, I tell comics too, when they get the, if a joke doesn't go over, a lot of comics will push, you know, and try harder on the next one. I go, you got to go, well, that sucks. You know, and <laughs> know that you know that it didn't work. Yeah. And then it takes all the tension out between you and the crowd. You know, if you, if you keep pushing, boy, you can, I've seen comics just bury themselves. And, um, but it's, yeah. it's, have fun, man. That's that's why I, that's why I still do it every once in a while. I'm, I'm right now since the COVID thing. I I think my last show was last July or something like that, and I did uh, I just did a a short thing, and I it was fun, but you know it's been a long time ago. I yeah, well, yeah. It's uh, you really do have to knock the rust off. It's just like crazy. I mean, I don't perform all that much at all anymore. I I did a bit when the um, you know, when Pitta was still here in the Bay Area and uh, the Throckmorton was was going on Tuesday nights, we would, you know, he would call me up and go, hey, let's do improv tonight at the end of the show. Yeah. So, you know, that was keeping my chops up. So I started teaching improv at work, where I worked, to people that worked there. Oh, that's awesome. And so that kind so of keeps... In between naming things, you're, you're riffing? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I nice. did classes. I started doing it on Zoom when the pandemic went down and we all went home and stuff like that. But it's nothing. nothing is like being in front of that audience and learning how to ride that wave. Yes. Because you know, that's really what it's about. And it's like, it's like, you know, trying to teach someone how to not be afraid of the silence. Because there's a lot of moments that you just kind of go, you know what, I'm going to let this grow now. And, and this is nothing. It's, it's silence and anticipation from the audience waiting. What's he going to do next? Yeah. You, when you mentioned silence, I, I started be. Pearl and I started watching Jack Benny was on oh. like it's o'clock in the morning on channel 20 years yeah. ago. And he called me up and go, Hey, Benny's on. And, uh, and just watching him, I, I started learning how to take a pause, you know, after, if I didn't have a tag on a joke, I just take a pause and I do a look and I get two laughs yeah. and I kill me. I go, man, I'm, I'm doubling my laughs for doing nothing. It's no just, effort. And, um, but, um, yeah, it's, you were talking about the wave. Yeah. Uh, the one thing from theater that I learned, because uh, when I first started doing theater, I'd, I'd never been in a play. I First play I was in, I had like a five-page monologue by myself on stage that was humorous. And I asked the director, I go, what do I do when they laugh? And he said that laughter comes in and it comes in ah, like this. And just as it, you got to use your ear. And just when it peaks, say your next line, because it'll fall right off. Yeah. And. I started playing with that more and more in my comedy. And, and if you've got a joke that's got tags and you get it hot, ah, it peaks off and then you hit the tag, then it goes up even higher. And then if it starts to fall off and hit it again, it goes even higher. And it's when you can play on stage and know exactly what you're doing. Technically it's like being a great cabinet builder and getting the edges just right. You know I oh, mean? Yeah. It's a craft. And it's, no, it's I, mean, I was talking about this, this uh, Brian Regan special. And I mean, he's a master of it. He's in the faces. I can, I just laugh at Brian Regan when you say his name, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
The Jack Benny thing, I've, I've used Jack Benny as an instructional aid for people. I mean, there's that very famous bit that originally was in radio. And the idea of using silence in radio is crazy because radio is like, well, it's dead air, isn't it? And there's that famous bit where he gets, he's, he's walking home at night and he gets held up by a guy, says, uh, your money or your life. And there's just this long pause. But you also got to understand his character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gate. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the that's the beauty of Jack Benny. He's such a defined character that you know what's you kind of know what's going to happen, but it's still hysterical. He is, but the the thing is, if you didn't know anything about Jack Benny and you just showed somebody that one bit, where there's the long pause, your money or your life. I said your money or your life. Another long pause. He goes, I'm thinking it over. Thinking it over. <laughs> I saw I saw Jack Benny with Rich Little. And Rich Little was doing Jack, and it was like dueling Jacks. Oh, okay. Those, and uh, uh, Rich says something, and Jack goes, "You're doing it wrong." He goes, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "It's three fingers, oh. not you know." Instead of doing this, oh, funny, like this, which is <laughs> three's funnier. <laughs> to, to, to him, it was a yeah. To him, it was a, a magic formula, right? That okay. worked for that character. That's what, that was Tony DePaul's comedy, you know. He goes, I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken, got the three-piece meal. I got a head, a wing, and a foot. I swear to God, me on the hoof. Everything Gonzo. And then you can say Jack if they're laughing. So, Tony, don't explain comedy to me, please. So, oh, but it's, it's fun. I mean, the whole – when you think of all the characters that we've been around oh. – whole thing it's just it mind boggles you that we've had contact with just craziest people in the world you know and i i, I wouldn't trade it for anything no it's just you know it, it's so funny because people ask me now because i'll tell them these stories and stuff and they go at work and they go why are you here yeah <laughs> <laughs> they go wait a minute you you've written you've re- you've written these movies for for the hallmark channel and you work with dana carvey why are you here I paint houses, you know, I've been doing, I've been painting and I love it. I, I, it's, I, this is the first time I've worked in something concrete where I can actually look at what I've done. Interesting. You know? I, yeah. I've seen some of your art. It's really nice. Oh, well, thanks. Well, the art's fun. The art I just kind of do for, for my own fun, but the, you know, I'll, I'll paint a room for somebody or the inside of a house. And I love it because it's, uh, again, I'm, it's concrete. I can look at it. I can touch it. It's something that's, different johnny Steele and three still standing talked about the vapor you know when you you go on stage and it, you do this thing and it's like it just disappeared when you're done it's like what did i do yeah you know if you tape it or have something to look at you have no i you just walk away from it yeah wow. improv is even worse because as a stand-up you at least have your lines and your bits and your stuff okay. improv to me i literally finish a show and i go i don't remember what we just did Unless it's unless it's Deb and Mike, <laughs> uh, except for Deb and Mike, yeah. Your money, yeah. Give me, uh, just give me the money. Uh, the uh, I remember on Sunday nights they used to do the comedy underground at the uh, Punchline. Yeah, and they'd have a, a guest comedian. Yeah, oh, no, it was Monday nights. We did a, they gave Monday. us Monday nights, and, often, and our rule of thumb was the name of the group was the Comedy Underground, and our rule of thumb was if there were less people in the audience than there were letters in the name of the group we would not go on. But yeah, we did like an SNL kind of format, right? So we had a, a guest comic and you did that a lot. 
And then, so you guys would open the show and then we would throw you into doing improv with us. And we tried not to, it's so hard when you're a comic, not to say the punchline, mm -hmm. you know, and that you guys hated it when they'd say a punchline, cause you just kill a scene, you know, and <laughs> thanks. Try, try to build on it a little bit. Billy Lucas one night kept doing all this ice skating stuff. I couldn't figure out what he, what was going on. And then on the side of the stage, he goes, um, um, who's the, who's the skater gal that's short and sassy. Oh, what was um, her name? I... Dorothy Hamill. Yes. She was out there sitting in the front row. I didn't notice her, but I go, Oh, landed <laughs> one person in the crowd all night. That's so, hilarious. Billy was fantastic. Oh, Billy was my Philippines. Oh, Philippines. Oh, how I love my Philippines. Oh, he was so funny. I remember he, and he, he got a little bitter at one point. He goes, Mr. Williams, Mr. Williams, can I have my act back, please? <laughs> I had my act. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't, you know, it was great times. Great times. Yep. Absolutely. So um, what is, you talked about the painting and what other sort of things kind of uh, light up your life these days that make you go, I'm glad I moved back home. I'm glad I'm with the, you know, these people I've, I've known my whole life. And what is it about that that sort of like is satisfying? It's, it's just kind of comforting to be back in a place where uh, it took them a few years to get used to me coming back when I came back. Oh, it's that guy. <laughs> guy that couldn't wait to leave is back he's back <laughs> back and uh but i was still traveling quite a bit and doing shows and then i was taking some of my friends to some shows here and there and uh and then when my friend opened the comedy club next door it was kind of fun because they got to come see me and go oh, okay i guess you, you're you're a seasoned veteran now but uh, <laughs> i love to i love to say hey you got to come see this guy or you got to see this guy uh peoria springfield like pollock's been around uh schneider you know they've uh they've come out and uh it's just kind of neat that my friends get to go, oh, you do know these people. That's great. Not full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole, you know, when I first told them that I was touring with Grace Slick and stuff, they're like, yeah, all right. You know, and it's, I've, I've, I've humbled myself, but I've gotten involved in my community too. I've painted buildings downtown. I've kind of planted some trees. I'm trying to keep a small town alive, which is almost mm -hmm. impossible these days because, uh, just box stores in the big cities, you know, you can go to Lowe's and Menards and Home Depot and stuff and, and no clothing stores, Walmarts are right 15 minutes away. So it really hurts the small towns, but my brother's got a wood shop in town. So I can, he can build me things that I need as I'm working on buildings, but I've refabbed a, about seven buildings in town, you know, and lost money on all of them, <laughs> but, but they're still yeah. standing. So, so what, how, how, did, how has Mason City uh, weathered the, the pandemic? Uh, they've kind of done all right. I mean, we had, we've got a nursing home here and there was, there, you know, we, we had a few deaths around here. We lost a kid that, well, I call him a kid. He's just a few years younger than me, but uh, he was a, a track guy at the school, you know, and, and really influenced a million kids, getting them to believe in themselves and stuff. And he died from the COVID and it was, it was really sad. And um, it, it I, it's just been different. I'm, I'm kind of hoping everything's going to kind of turn back to normal here. Things are slowly coming back around. We got a little movie theater in town, you know, uh, what they've been doing during the pandemic is just a uh, hundred bucks. You can have the theater for the night. We'll show you whatever you want. Cause they've got set up where they can put a DVD in or whatever. Oh, okay. So they place out for the evening. And, um, 
but they they basically show second run movies. Uh, I'll tell them to get your movie from the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> big opening down here. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's going to be okay. The thing is, the Spanish all here, and that that's that's what means the most. Otherwise, I'd be out of Illinois. The taxes are high. Everything. So oh, really? kind of it's uh, you know a lot of people are fleeing to like Tennessee from here. Yeah. I got a friend on a trip down south. He says Mississippi and Alabama are booming right now as far as building. You know, we're and low taxes, and I don't know. How, how far out of Chicago are you? I'm about three hours south of Chicago and about two hours north of St. Louis. I got to go, I got my nephew to St. Louis to fly out to Washington tomorrow to see his mom. So, yeah, just a lot of, you know, but it's flat. It's yeah. like, you know, yeah. it's not like over mountains and, you know, yeah. not a traffic. So, so last thing I want to ask you about is, is you kind of look at, what the comedy scene is, you know, it went through a pretty rough patch going through the nineties and the early aughts and it's turned, it's morphed into something else than, it, you know, than it, it'll never go back to what it was. And it became this sort of learning by watching people's YouTube videos sort of thing and, and getting famous by being on YouTube, you know, comics were, you know, getting known that way. So as you look at the comedy scene now, what sort of um, observations do you have? Well, I've I've been watching the guys do the open mics next door. My buddy Chris Spire, he's from uh, uh, Dayton, Ohio. I met him in about 1990 or 91. And uh, he saw what we were doing with the restaurants, opened the club up. And over the years, he's been there for 15 years, I think, now next door. And he's developed a nice stable of local comics. And some of them are, uh, you know, way out there. And other guys are really, it, it's, it's interesting to see someone that have really worked hard at it are really coming around now. And mm. and some of them are driving like from Alton, which is almost down by St. Louis for an open mic, you know, to do 10 minutes. It's amazing. Wow. Well, there's just no place, you know, yeah. to, and then there's this kid, Zach Boblet. It's just, every time I see him, he's just funnier and funnier and he's fat and slobby and just, you know, and, and self-deprecating. And, but man, he's taking it into places that I would have never dreamed mm. of. So, there's, there's comics that are really doing things that are new and original and different. And so I cheer lead those guys. And then there's other guys that are trying to work the crowd. I go, man, get an act. Yeah. You know, you just because Bob Zaney can work a crowd, he's been doing it for years. You can't, you know, you haven't. So trying to, I'm trying to get these people to, you know, work on their material, uh, right. Do something different. Every time you're on, just take the, if you're going to come up here take a chance, like like Bubbles said, or like Pritchard said to Bubbles in that thing, he goes, if you bombed in front of eight people at the Holy City Zoo, it ain't the end of your career. You know? <laughs> okay. Worried about everything all the time. That's the end of the world. And yeah. uh, it's over. And uh, Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Elbow. <laughs> buddy. I, I would, I'll meet him for lunch once in a while, and he will put down newspaper on the seat he's going to sit on because he's a big germaphobe. I go, but what about the newspaper? What about if you think the seat in the restaurant has germs on it? What about the newspaper? Where'd that come from? <laughs> Just keep scaring him. Just yeah. keep putting things in his head. Exactly. But, but I, and I miss hanging with you guys. You know that I, I, it's such a pleasure to see you when we hosted the comedy competition. Yeah. And, uh, and then I pulled out my Blackberry and you said you named it. <laughs> That old, huh? <laughs> still use my wife's phone. I'm talking on. So, um, 
I, I like simple. Yeah. I, I've been simplifying things, and I really like uh, the easier the better. And uh, and all the all the comedy I do now, I really I've dealt with uh, my growing up here because mm. I'm reminded of it every day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, telling stories that people around here just eat that stuff up, and uh, whether it plays in in Des Moines, I don't know. I don't care. Doesn't matter. What plays it? I know what to play in, in, when I go there. I've got there that go. I told you about. I can always watch that and mimic it. So <laughs> that's a good point. Hey, guys, it's been great talking to you, man. Uh, Mark, it's a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on, and uh, let me know when uh, we get broadcast here. Absolutely, be on in a few weeks. I'll uh, definitely hit you up when when it's coming out. Thanks, buddy. Have a great night, and uh, I'll talk to you along the way. Oh, we will. We'll see, we shall right. chat. Thanks, right, buddy. Jim. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was great catching up with Gons. Thanks so much for the time, John. And thank you, listener, for your time listening to us. We spent this last year doing what we could to promote comedy soundcasts, both specifically and in general. And hopefully we were able to help boost sagging listenership of soundcasts that had fallen off because people aren't commuting to work. They haven't been working out in gyms. They haven't been driving great distances. But all of that is changing. And now it's time to take down the Succotash shut-in sign. As of this episode, we are no longer the Soundcast Stimulus Package. When you next hear this show, we have an intimate yet fun conversation with me, Tyson Saner, our producer Joe Polino, and our booth announcer Bill Haywatt to help celebrate our 10-year anniversary of this show and kick off our fifth season. Uh, we have a number of friends that are either calling into our Succotash hotline to wish us a happy 10-year anniversary. They can also upload those greetings to us at Hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. A number of folks are doing that. Feel free to if you'd like as well. And we'll make sure it's in that episode next week. Until then, please continue to socially distance, wear a mask, wash your hands. And if anyone asks if you've heard anything good lately, Please do us a favor and pass the Succotash. Bill? You've been listening to Succotash Shut In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package, with your host, Mark Hershaw. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com. On iTunes. On Stitcher. On iHeartRadio. On YouTube. On SoundCloud. On the... <laughs> laughable app. And tattooed on your mother's rear end. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Show. Email us at T-Y-S-O-N at SuccotashShow.com. Or call into the Succotash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcast directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is still Kenny Durgis. And until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please wash your hands and pass the succotash. Goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.